Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Ryder Cup. And joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, happy, what is it, Monday? Thank you very much. Uh, Ryder Cup week. I'm pretty excited about it. And, and by the way, can, can I just say real quick, Rick, I don't like looking at the menu before going to the restaurant either. Thank you. It's an adventure. Let the adventure begin when you get to the restaurant. It's all about cravings for me. What am I feeling in the moment? Yeah, we don't. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, formulating my case. Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, this is this is going to be a fun one. It's going to be a weird one, but it's going to be a fun one. It's uh, definitely one of my favorite weeks of the year. Um, so last night with the West Coast event, up a little bit later than normal, and this morning, uh, instead of waking up, you know, tie, I, I shot out of bed fired up so excited for this week and it's going to be that way all week long so i I can't wait i love this week we talk about it all year long in a Ryder cup year or in a president's cup year and uh and it's finally here so it's very exciting there is a different format for this week which we're gonna have to talk through make sure you get that correct but first We've got my favorite giveaway ever. So if you have been, uh, this goes back to the Masters where Kyle Porter, there he is. Yeah, kind of went a little bit viral. And as as with a a good viral tweet or a moment, uh, it has now been etched into the side of a golf ball. So if you are watching on YouTube right now, producer Jacob is showing these custom vice golf balls with Kyle Porter's depiction. On it, Sia. What, like, what, what, what is this thing? I love it. I, I love how you said uh, just kind of viral. I mean, that was that was like the thing on Twitter and social media that day. This is fantastic. You know, Rick. This is how you know you've made it. Now I know Kyle. You know, he's he's a big deal. We get it. But when you're on a golf ball and everybody wants that golf ball, I mean, I think that's sort of the barometer these days of like, hey, I'm here. I've arrived. It, it, for sure. And this is a power stance, Greg. Look at those thighs that's uh saquon barkley-esque thighs on kyle porter here yeah he's ready to go um which is so cool you know i've always had uh, this question asked of me if you didn't do what you did if you weren't in the golf business what would you do and you know a dream of mine has always been to be a a meme maker or a gift maker Um, (laughs) but i've never even i've never gotten to the point in my wildest dreams of reaching the heights Kyle Porter did, which is actually being a, a gift for a meme. Um, and so that's next level. And it, you know, I, I couldn't even dream of it. If you would like to win these dozen golf balls, I believe Jacob has two dozen. He's going to give away. There are two different ways to do it. Way. Number one, 
Go to the First Cut First Cut Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review and leave uh, your Twitter handle so that we can get in touch with you. Make sure that you are following at First Cut Pod as well. Uh, while you're there, go ahead and drop in the final score prediction. Could be, you know, 14 and a half, 13 and a half, whatever that ends up being. Uh, drop that in there as well. And the second way, you can do both of these, double your chances. The second way is on the mega preview pod that's going to be out on Tuesday on YouTube. Comment with your final score prediction. That will get you entered into the draw. And if you are lucky enough, a dozen vice Kyle Porter meme golf balls will arrive at your house. That's a sentence I never thought I would say, but that is the case. <laughs> Good luck. Can we win? I want to win this. I, I need, I need access to these golf balls. Uh, <laughs> one recommendation, make sure your point total adds up to 28, right? You don't, you don't want to see any, yes, you know, make, just make sure it adds up to 28. So you actually have a chance. Speaking that, of, Yes. No, I was going to say, sorry, this is totally, now I'm going totally off the rails. Please. But speaking of point totals and humongous thighs, oh wait for it, A.J. Dillon plays tonight on Monday Night Football. He's a Saquon comp in the thigh department, as is Mike Davis. Had to give uh, credit where credit was due. That is not gonna. That is not music to Greg Ducharme's ears, who ha- is ro- rolling out Aaron Jones this evening. We're looking for Aaron Jones points, aren't we, Greg? Yeah, I would love to get some Aaron <laughs> Jones points. I'm already in the midst of a of a monster week, I'm, so I'm thrilled. It's been a great way to start the Ryder Cup week. Um, when you have Derrick Henry this week, it really helped. Um, Cooper Cup and Lamar Jackson, and the list goes on and on. So, who's yeah, drafting I, with you, Greg? What is this team? Well, it's, a nine, it's, team a nine, it's a nine man roster, um, a very unique format where there's you don't have to play it. Basically, it's all flex except for quarterback, kicker, defense, and you got to play a minimum of a receiver and a, a running back. So, very interesting format. And, um, look in, in week two. Week one didn't look very good for me. I was down near the bottom. And now all of a sudden after week two with Aaron Jones still yet to go, I've made my way right back into contention right where I like it. So this is our our crossover pod with uh, the pick six pod. But uh, (laughs) speaking of fantasy points, they will be distributed this week for the Ryder Cup in a very different manner. So first of all, before you go building lineups, know the format. And Jacob's got it on the screen here. So this is the match play format. We saw this during the WGC match play in Austin earlier this year. Uh, It is not based on birdies and bogeys and pars. It's actually based on the number of holes that your golfer has won, halved, or lost. But Sia, what you'll note here is there is a benefit, a net benefit to winning a hole and losing a hole compared to having two holes, which is the same thing that we see in a normal stroke play week with birdie. So you are, you are being incentivized to get some of the more volatile golfers out there. Yeah. And I think that's the name of the game here because a lot, you know, I mean, a lot of these players, most of these players are, are really good. So you, you don't classically worry about some of these guys, you know, triple bogeying or something like that. Although obviously that's in play here, but like, who cares? Right. Because you're just trying to win the hole. If you lose the hole, then so what you go to the next one, you only lost 0.75. So I, I love the format for that reason. You know, you can definitely take shots on those quote volatile guys. Uh, those, those maybe some of those bombers that we'll talk about, like your, your Bryson's, 
I suspect he'd be pretty popular for this reason, for what's on the screen. Uh, parentheses, hey guys, uh, watch us on YouTube because uh, we literally have the format up on the screen. So it, I think that's really important here. Not just winning matches, Greg, but winning them big. Uh, will be the path to lots of fantasy points. You win a match, you get an extra five, but for every hold that you do not play, you get 1.6. Now that only goes to the winning side. So if you get blown out on the 10th hole, you do not get the bonus points uh, for the final eight that you did not have to play because you stunk so bad. That only goes to the team or player that won. Uh, but winning and winning in a large fashion is going to be the path to success. Which is uh, um, great, of course. Uh, the one thing about that on a Monday, we don't know who the matches are going to be yet. And the format in um, in the Ryder Cup, the way matches are selected, you you don't mat you don't create matches with your uh, parents. You create an order. So Captain Stricker will say, "All right, in my first match, I'll have." JT and speed. Then in my last match, I'm going to have Cantlay and Shoffley and, and whoever else in between. And captain Padraig Harrington will do the same thing on the other side. And then whatever matches are created, that's what's created. So you, there may be some matchups that, um, that, that definitely lend themselves to a blowout scenario. Um, for uh, it's it's hard to come up with a for instance, but maybe uh, for instance, it's, uh, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth versus Burned Vsperger and Shane Lowry. You might look at that on paper if you <laughs> saw that match and say, okay, this this one has a chance to be a route. Um, so I'm gonna go heavy on Spieth and Thomas. We don't know those results yet. Um, so that's very interesting. Do you know, Rick? I should know this. I apologize. Are you going to be able to create your lineups after the matches are are formed for uh, for round one? For just for the first session, I believe, because right. uh, I was looking at the schedule of events on the Ryder Cup, and they do kind of like the opening ceremony. This so the days are the days are pushed back, so it'll be Thursday night. They have like the opening ceremonies and the introductions and all that, and I believe that is when we are going to get the Thursday, uh, the Friday morning first, the first session. Uh, pairing. So in theory, you could wait to see, and I think it's, I think it's worth it because uh, if you're not playing in one session, you're losing 20% of your opportunities. You can only play in five different sessions. If you're not playing in the first one, you're already down to at most four opportunities. So I believe for the first session, Greg, we will know. And I think that's a really big factor. Um, this is kind of where it's ironic. We bring up fantasy football early on, um, but in fantasy football talk, if you listen to the pick six podcast, they're going to talk about volume um, and any fantasy, any fantasy football talk, you know, advice is going to be, well, volume is a major aspect of that. And you don't want a guy who might hit a 75 yard home run for a touchdown, but he's not going to get any other targets. You want a guy that's going to get, you know, regular consistent targets because it creates opportunity. And in this format, especially when you're looking at your captain, you want to you want to try to select a guy who you feel is going to have a lot of volume. They're going to have a lot of matches. They're going to play four or five matches in your mind. And it may seem like when you look down the list, especially when you look at the American team, okay, he's a he's a five match guy. He's a five match guy. And, and you can find a lot of five match guys because they're they're big, strong players who are in great shape and they're obviously great golfers and top players in the world. But ultimately, there's only so much room out there and guys aren't going to play 
five matches. In fact, if I were captain, I don't think anybody would play five matches unless I got to a situation on Saturday night where I could clinch the Ryder Cup with a, a point and I thought it was more valuable. Um, but sing, points in singles, ten, success in singles tends to go down for guys who have played five matches. And so, hmm. but, so there's a balance there. But at the same time, the guys that may play five matches or are at least going to play four. I do believe there are a few on both teams. Those are the only guys that I'm interested in making as my captain. The I believe I've heard that opportunity and volume conversation on the Fantasy Football Today pod made by probably you, see it Nijad. And see, there, there are a couple of caveats here. Greg, Greg gets into the captain mode aspect of this. That's the other really big difference that we have going on this week. You're still going to pick six different golfers. However, one of them will need to be assigned as your captain. And for the right to make him your captain, you get to pay one and a half times their salary. So for example, John Rahm, $9,800 normally will go to $14,700 to be your captain. But in return, Sia, you are going to get one and a half times the fantasy production. So if for whatever reason, John Rahm scores 100 points, you'd get 150 points from John Rahm. It is the guy that you really want to either invest in or do it with kind of a, a cheaper guy so that you can plug in a lot of others at the top. Yeah. And there's definitely, you know, it's, it's funny, like there's definitely different sort of strategies when it comes to that. I mean, obviously there's a couple guys up top that you might want to lock in, especially if you know, they're going to have more quote volume, more opportunity starting, let's say Friday morning. Um, but yeah, it, it is an interesting strategy for those of you that aren't like accustomed to playing showdown with a captain, you know, that type of thing. Um, to get a lesser priced guy so that you can stack the guys up top. So if that lesser priced guy obviously hits some hits value at one and a half times, that's great. But you're also you you're also getting a discount on that guy, and therefore you're able to roster some of those top end guys. As we move over to the cheat sheet, I'll show my screen. It's rickrungood.com for everything you're going to see from here on out. And uh, the final caveat here, Greg, is uh, you can indeed, if you would like get two of the same partners in the same lineup. So if, if Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas are going to play together, those two can be in the same lineup. They will just receive the exact same amount of points when they are playing together. So obviously if they're playing alternate shot or if they're playing, uh, if they're playing four ball, there's no way to tell, you know, who's winning the whole, they're either winning together or losing together. So if you're, if you're, if you're putting partners into a lineup, it is probably a more volatile approach because they're so heavily correlated with one another. It's kind of our first opportunity um, in in fantasy golf to create stacks, which is yeah. something that Sia also talks about on fantasy football today, right? You might you get a little Patrick Mahomes and, and Travis Kelsey stack going. You kind of have that opportunity, a Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas stack. I, I think it's very likely that they're going to play together. A Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley kind of a deal. I think it's harder to predict the European side teams. Um, but but the U.S. definitely has some teams that uh, appear right now as it stands now to um, to at least get a, a crack with each other. And there's a risk involved in that. But um, but if you're on the right side of it, it's it's certainly a, a nice opportunity. 
All right, let's finally jump into this board. I'm going to split it up a little bit different, gentlemen, and you're going to hear me refer to their regular price, their golfer price. Uh, whatever I say is their price. If you multiply it by 1.5, you'll get their captain salary as well. Let's just start with the first handful of golfers here, $8,600 and more. So John Rahm is 9800 Justin Thomas is 94, Rory McIlroy 92, Patrick Cantlay is an even 9,000, and then the final two in this range are Jordan Spieth at 88 and Xander Schauffele at 86. Sia, these are the most likely candidates from both teams to play five matches, maybe four in some cases, but likely four or likely five. A lot of them will be paired together. How do we start to differentiate between the really high volume guys at the top of the board? I mean, for me, it's just going to be taking taking in the captain spot, if that's what you're asking, taking the guy that I think has the best, quote, opportunity and, and chance to rack up the points at maybe the lowest cost. Like the the team that I built, uh, I only did one because it's kind of weird to build teams like right in the moment. I just kind of wanted to play around with it. I actually started kind of reluctantly with Xander Shoffley. I mean, it's not that I don't like Xander Shoffley. I'd much rather start with John Rahm uh, or let's say uh, – Actually, on the American side, I think Xander's probably where I'd want to start now that I think about it. So that that's sort of who I started with. And I was able to put in uh, really quite a quite a few of the guys that I really liked uh, just overall with that captain. So when you look at look at this, Greg, and you start to decide between, let's say, John Rahm or uh, Rory McIlroy or Jordan Spieth, are you looking at all? Because I do have the past Ryder Cup and President's Cup history here for the for the U.S. side. Do you start to look at what they've done in past Ryder Cups or are we just looking for the best players at the best prices and hope it all works out? I, I do think past Ryder Cups is important. Uh, and and all of those guys, with the exception of John Rahm, they have great Ryder Cup records. Uh, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas have been real workhorses for the American side. Um, and and I, I'm not afraid of looking at President's Cups either, especially for guys who gel. Because if I'm sitting in Captain Stricker's shoes, I want as much information, as much data as possible. And I want to know, well, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, were they were great in uh, – or. or Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley were great in a President's Cup. So even though they're rookies, when I put them out there together in a Ryder Cup, they're not rookies, right? They've played together in a team match in the heat of battle um, in Royal Melbourne, and it was very successful. I know they're different competitions. I know our success rate is totally different, but I do believe there's still value in that because it gives a, it gives a rookie an avenue for comfort, even though they're a quote-unquote rookie these guys have done this before in just a, maybe a slightly different setting. So I think that's really valuable. Um, and then the other thing that I like to look at it, for instance, Rory McIlroy, his records 11, nine and four. So that's to do quick math. That's 24 potential points that he's competed for in a Ryder cup. Well, he's played in five Ryder cups. So with a, a total um, opportunity of 25 points, if you play five matches, he's only sat out one session. Yeah, he's he's he had one session. The last four Ryder Cups, he has played every single session, and the one before that, he played four out of five. So that was a decade ago. Was so, the last time he didn't play. Yeah. <laughs> so with at his age, with his history and the roster that sits behind him, it's very likely that Rory McIlroy plays at least four matches, and it's pro fairly likely, maybe more likely than anybody else in the. Um, in the entire competition to play five matches. 
I, I don't know if you guys agree with that, but John Rahm is also a very high, uh, a very likely candidate for that. But you just wonder what's going. I'm sure his stomach's fine, so maybe that's. But is his play at at the level where it should be? Is it going to be there? Are we concerned about the miscut last week at all? I, I don't know. There's maybe just one or two more questions about John Rahm, but I, I don't think there's very many for Rory McIlroy. So I think he'd be a great choice. To me, Rahm and Rory are certainly going to play five matches. The path the path for European victory goes through their stars. I, I think that's very clear. I think Rahm and Rory are going to play five. I think if there was one who was more likely than another, I think Rory, just because we've seen him do it literally four Ryder Cups in a row, uh, is more likely to play uh, all five matches. Justin Thomas, this he has played uh, in three events across the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup. He has played in all five matches in all three of those. Jordan Speed. Um, I, I think he has played, I mean, basically all five matches for like the last four or five international events that he's played. But gentlemen, we're, we're missing the guy here. It's Patrick mm-hmm. Cantlay, isn't it? Isn't Patrick Cantlay the guy here? So, so when you look at a really good option, Sia, you get a guy that it took us, um, seven or eight minutes to get into. So obviously not everybody's that excited about playing Patrick Cantlay. He has a very solid pairing, presumably in Xander Shoffley. He has played all five matches before in the president's cup. This is going to be his first Ryder cup. He is to me, one of the more devastating match play players because he can get a hot putter. He's really good. And he's kind of like boring and tough to play against. And it would be so annoying if he was beating you. Like, I think Patrick Cantlay is an assassin. A silent one. I I, I see your point. You know, I, I guess if, you know, from a narrative standpoint, does that work against him at the Ryder Cup? Because he's not really like, you know, emboldened by each each shot in, in each hole. But I do like his his state of mind, regardless of the tournament. I have no problem with Patrick Cantley. I mean, I, I, I agree with you is really what I'm trying to say. I like Patrick Cantley. He certainly grades out really well uh, on this on this long course. Uh, no, no issue with him. OK, the well, I, one Sorry. real quick. The one issue with Patrick Cantlay, if you're going to go with, if you believe in their, in that pairing, Cantlay and Shoffley, is it smarter to go with, to make your captain, uh, Xander Shoffley, because you get a better value. Um, he's just a little bit cheaper. And for four, if they play five matches, um, for, for four of them, they're likely going to be together. I think there's two pairings like that on the U S side. So I I don't know. I don't have quite the read on that yet. I I don't know if they're going to play five, if they're only going to play four and Stricker is going to try to rest them. But, um, but I do think if you're going in the Spieth Thomas or the can't lay, the can't lay Shoffley thing, I think there's a ton of value in going with Spieth or Shoffley over Thomas or, or can't lay simply because of price. And it's very likely that they'll be paired together uh, every time they tee it up. Mm. The the next tier starts to get really interesting, and then we have to get into uh, a lot of the deep value, which I think is fascinating as well. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. The next tier, you start to get some more question marks here, gentlemen. Victor Hovland, 8,400. Dustin Johnson is 82. Bryson DeChambeau is 8,000. I'll even lump in the 7K guys in here. Uh, that would be Fleetwood, Morikawa, Kepka, Finau, and Sergio Garcia. Uh, when I look at this range, Sia, I'm trying to find out 
uh, hey, maybe who can get hot, maybe who can get a really good strong pairing that they can kind of ride coattails with for a while. Like what, what are we trying to get out of this next tier of golfers? Let, let me ask you real quick. That tier went down to, did it go down to Brooks or further down? to? So I did Hovland to Sergio. Oh, okay. Hovland to Sergio. Yes. Yeah, but by the way, I, I like Sergio. The two guys that really jump out at me, though, are Bryson and Tony Finau. I think this just yeah. suits them so well. That this particular setup, this sort of match play setup, sets that sets them apart from the rest of the guys in, in this tier. I think Victor Hovland is interesting. So, I mean, I think that would be sort of the third place guy in this tier. And then I would probably round it out with Sergio. I like Sergio's price. I think he's going to do just fine here. Been hitting the ball well, but not nearly as well as Bryson. I mean, Bryson has been really good over the last few tournaments and he sets up so well for this track that it's hard for me to make the argument against him. Let's let's remove everything we know about Bryson DeChambeau off the golf course and just think about what we know about Bryson DeChambeau on the golf course here, Greg. Um, we have the longest hitter on the PGA Tour on a course that is being trying to be designed to benefit distance. We have a guy who makes a lot of birdies and a lot of big numbers, uh, which in, in most of these formats is generally okay. We have a guy that if he can keep it within bounds uh, in alternate shot, I think he's going to have a lot of partners kind of clamoring uh, to play with him. I think Bryson DeChambeau is one of the larger X factors um, of this format because if he rolls out on, on Friday morning and he gets hot, I think he plays a lot. See, he's um, a really interesting case for me. And I, I can definitely buy into the case that he's going to play a lot. He's going to be a big factor for all those reasons. Is his style difficult to pair with? I know everybody might want to, you know, you want to play with him in, in a way. But with some of the pairings that have kind of been, they, they seem to kind of work for the U.S., you want to roll those out again, at least early on. Uh, at least give him a chance. Where does Bryson fit with the remaining players? And you know he can't play with Kepka. He's probably not uh, a guy that would mesh with DJ very well, um, personality-wise, stylistic-wise. So I wonder, the, the guys that seem to be available for Bryson, Tony Finau may be an exception. Um, and, and if he plays with Tony, I think that could be a lethal pairing. Yeah, but, I, I hope they play together. And if, if I see that one on Friday morning, I think I'm going to be pretty high on Bryson. Um, if I don't, if I don't see Bryson, I have some worries. Is he going to be left with, uh, uh, you know, a, um, like a Harris English, a Daniel Berger, a Colin Morikawa, who are some of these shorter hitters? And, and there's nothing against them and their style can work. The one question, they play such different style games and they're used to playing from different areas. So Bryson will have to drive it really well for that to work. And if he drives it like he did at the BMW, and I mean more than just distance, because that's always there, um, accuracy-wise, if he can hit fairways and avoid some of those bunkers and avoid some of the strange situations that a player of his length often finds themselves in, then it can work. But if he if he's hitting it and missing fairways and guys are in fairway bunkers all the time, they're in you know uh, these precarious situations all the time, they're not used to that the way a Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, like the, these players who are of the same, of a similar style are used to playing from off the golf course. Hmm. And so when you match those guys together, in my opinion, it's, it's a good fit. Nobody's frustrated when you hit a bad tee shot. Whereas for Colin Morikawa plays from 
the middle of the fairway <laughs> all year long. Daniel Berger is the same way. These guys keep the, the ball in front of them. So while it's nice to have those clubs into the greens, I do think there's a big factor in where are those, where are you hitting those clubs from? Uh, and and so I, I have a, a slight, it's not even a concern. It's just a question. And I don't know what Stricker is going to do with Bryson because I, I think he is in a way, aside from maybe Kepka, the hardest guy to pair. Um, and stylistically, I do think he's the hardest guy to pair. Mm. It's it's fascinating that this comes into play, um, obviously, this week more than any other because you're they're sharing balls. It's 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 a whole big thing. The the, the two, uh, I think some of the more in, intriguing question marks for the European team uh, comes out of this range. See, it's Victor Hovland, who's eighty four hundred, who I think we all think is going to be is going to be great, but we've never seen it. He's a rookie. We have no idea what to expect out of him uh, at a Ryder cup. And then Tommy Fleetwood is 7,800 and uh, history has been pretty good for, for Tommy, but we don't have uh, Francesco Molinari here. He hasn't played well, particularly uh, coming into this event. I, I think those two post pretty sizable, pretty sizable question marks. I mean, Fleetwood in particular, I, I do like Victor Hobb. I mean, Fleetwood's good if you just want to be different. I, I don't think a lot of people will be rostering him, but Victor Hovland, I love, I mean, I don't, the thing I love about Victor Hovland, and this is just my impression, it sort of doesn't matter where he is. He, he is, his, his mental state is always kind of the same. I don't think the pressure is going to get to him, what, you know, from a, from a Ryder Cup standpoint, I think he's just going to go out and hit it. And he's such a good ball striker, long off the tee, long enough off the tee. Uh, I, I like Victor Hovland a lot. So, I, I mean, between the two, I'll have a lot of Victor Hovland. But honestly, if I'm going to be different, it's not going to be with Tommy Fleetwood. Mm. So, Sia, on um, on that being different thing, I, I think this is an interesting question. We know there's a bias for the U.S. and in a lot of te- guys that are playing, and, and also the model suggests that too. If you're looking at models and and you're also an American and you're rooting for the U.S it's very easy to go down and just you almost scroll over a lot of the European names outside of maybe Rom and Rory um, because it's, it's easy to do that. And there's a great American option who seems to be at a better value than the European counterpart. Do you think going with a more, are you looking for a balanced lineup between the teams or do you think it's okay to go heavy American or heavy European um in that kind of in the the overall construction of your lineups, I mean, so far the the lineup that I the one lineup that I built it was completely balanced. I'm double checking that, but yeah, it was completely balanced three and three. I, I think I think the contrarian move would be what you said, Greg, is to is to lean it heavier on the European side because you're right. Most of the people that are playing DraftKings or FanDuel or whatever they're playing, they're they're going to be leaning balanced or heavy on the American side. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So that leads me to one other question. Um, would you, Rick and I have talked about this before. Um, I know that Rick in general, you like to, you get your core, you get the guys you believe in and you make lineups with very slight alterations. If right. you're in a 20, you know, a single, single entry, not included here, but if you have say 20 lineups you're making, um, you like to keep them very similar and you either win all the money or you lose all the money. And I I appreciate that model. Do you change that up here and make some American lineups and make some European lineups? Yeah. So this is fascinating. So uh, yes. And there, there's a couple of things that are different this week than most weeks. So one 
in regular stroke play events, when I keep my core tight, I know that guys are going to play two rounds. There is going to be a cut. And if they play well, they're going to get two more rounds. I don't know how many sessions these guys are going to play. Some might play two. Some might play four. I, I'm no math major, but a four is twice as, as much as two. It's it's a huge difference, right? It's it's a sizable opportunity that you're giving away. So I think a more scattered shot approach, especially on the European side, Greg. Um, the, the U.S. side, to me, it's much more well-defined. I think the Europeans try to ride the hot hand. But what I think the kind of bigger storytelling process here is – what do you think is going to happen? You know, the the Europeans are what plus one eighty, uh, which we know is probably that that's the betting number. They're they're probably going to win this like forty percent of the time, something like that. Thirty eight percent of the time, in the thirty eight percent of the time that the Europeans win this, uh, you want to be the guy making lineups with four Europeans in it because 38% of the time you're going to defeat like a huge swath of the American biased players in your contest. Does that make sense? Yes. You, there's you're short in you're you're short in it. Right. In, in uh yeah I'm just I just want to be the one that uh like there, there's going to be a discrepancy between like the Americans are going to be too heavily owned. They're 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 the favorites. That's fine. They're they're likely to win, but they're going to be too heavily owned. Uh, for the thirty eight percent of the time that the Europeans win, or those guys outscore their American counterparts, I want to be the one to reap the benefits on that because it's going to happen more often than people think it is. And then if it's close, if it's fourteen and a half, thirteen and a half, either way, there's going to be a lot of points on both sides. And being differentiated with Europe, you know, Europe could lose the Ryder cup. And if you have the right Europeans on your team, you could reap a huge benefit. So yeah, I, I think that's an interesting approach. And for the record, I, I like we, we've been drawing football analogies this entire show. So tonight we have the Detroit Lions, who are 12 point dog to green Bay. So uh, probably 70% of the people playing are either are going to stack the green Bay Packers, like five to one or four to two. And then there'll be some more balanced lineups, maybe some three and three. But if Detroit somehow competes in this game or has a chance to win, or just that they're putting up the numbers, 70% of the field is out of showdown. Now, now, just like you said, Rick, now you are competing. Your lineup is now competing. If you have like four lines and two Packers or five lines and one Packer, or even a balanced three and three, but especially if you're overweight four and two, or five and one, you're now competing with 25% of the field most likely. And so, you know, I mean, that that's sort of, I think what you, what you're saying. And I think it's a really smart idea to have some lineups carved out for that specifically. Yeah. I think you got to tell a story. If the, if the, if the Europeans win, how do they win? They probably win it with Rom, Rory and a hot hand down at the bottom. If the Americans win, maybe it's a more balanced approach and you want to be the guy who takes the cheaper of, you know, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas so that you can get more of those guys in there. You have to figure out what, like how those paths of victory start to make sense. Let's go down because we can talk about more Europeans here because the sub 7,000 range is the rest of these guys. It starts with Casey Berger, Poulter, Terrell Hatton. Then it goes to Shane Lowry, Scotty Scheffler, Matt Fitzpatrick, Harris English. And we round out this whole thing with Lee Westwood and Bernd Wiesberger. So Greg, if we're, if we're captaining one of these expensive golfers, John Rahm or Justin Thomas, we're paying over $14,000. We've got to find a spot for probably some of these cheaper guys. I've got a couple of mine earmarked here, but where would you go kind of in this bottom tier? 
I think there's um, a really interesting option is Paul Casey. I know he's not as low as some of the other guys, but I look at Paul Casey there. There it is. Yeah. Um, So the thing about Paul Casey is he's a great ball striker and he is um, amongst, he is an American style European, if that makes sense. Right. So Rom and Rory are, and, and probably Victor Hovland as well. These are guys who on the, on the PGA tour, they compete. And in many cases beat the Americans at their own game, right? They play the, they play an American style and Paul Casey, uh, because he is so good off the tee, um, plenty long. And this past season was second in strokes gain approach. It turns into a very American style. So I think that benefits him. Um, And, and I also, I know he's a little older, he's experienced, but he's in great shape. Um, You've seen the stuff on his his cycling and, and all the workouts that he does which is important. It's a little different than what Bryson does, right? It's a wind. He, he's His cardio is very good. So I don't question his ability. And if he gets hot, I think Paul Casey could play four matches. Um, I don't think there's a five-match guy down here. Unless the only way that would happen is if Paul Casey got paired with, or Ian Poulter, although that's even, even unlikely. Maybe of the Europeans down here, the, bet, the most likely five-match guy would be Hatton if he got paired with like Rory McIlroy and they won, they they won a couple sessions in a row. So that's that's the question down here, Greg. Who's who is most likely to be paired with John Rom and who is most likely to be paired with Rory McIlroy? That that's if we know the answer to that question, uh, and we might get it for at least Friday morning. That might unlock someone down here. What if you if you found out Thursday uh, Thursday night that Shane Lowry gets paired with Rory McIlroy, how valuable does Shane Lowry become? The Europeans have a funny way of where the American teams will play together in both sessions. The concern is the Europeans have a way of, of splitting guys up session to session, which is kind of, that's part of the reason why if you're if you're putting a lineup together today, the Americans look so much better because you have a better idea of who they're going to play with. Whereas on the European side, I might get Shane Lowry and Rory McIlroy in foursomes, but they could win. They could win five and four and get split up in four ball and then play again in foursomes the next time. So they are they, they build teams for for sessions, for formats and um, and, and they're they're willing to split it up. So could let, let's say Shane Lowry gets paid uh, paired with Rory McIlroy. He's very valuable, but does Rory play the next, the next session and Shane rests and then Shane comes back with Rory for foursomes and then just plays singles. Cause that, that's a very, that, there's a, a pathway to that as well. Um, although I do like Shane Lowry because he's a guy, he's a really, really solid iron player. I think he's an underrated player on this team. Um, and I, I think he's, he has an opportunity at a place like Whistling Straits to perform really well. He's also he's not a short hitter either. Um, he's an over three hundred guy. So Shane Lowry is an interesting play. I just worry about his vault. I think he's a three match guy. Um, even if it goes well, I, I have a funny feeling he's a three match guy. Yeah, it is interesting. Paul Casey, I think, is certainly going to be popular sub $7,000 range. I'm kind of waiting to see if we get Harris English with Bryson DeChambeau on Friday morning. I think that could be interesting. Uh, And there's one more guy that I'll keep in my back pocket for now, Sia. But when you start to assess the bottom, and I want to ask you who you like, and if there was anyone you'd be willing 
to throw the captain's tag on down here and then Ooh. kind of allow the salary cap relief uh, to go back up towards the top. Because in theory, if if you put a captain uh, uh, on, let's just stick with Shane Lowry, $9,000. Well, now you can, you can make some pretty good lineups there uh, with a lot of the top guys because of the savings. Yeah, I, I like that idea quite a bit. I, I think if I was going to do that, it would probably be Paul Casey or Daniel Berger. I mean, I, I don't really – it's hard for me to justify putting it on anybody else if I were to go, go that route. I like both of those guys, obviously. I also like Harris English. Um, I don't mind Lowry. The only other guy I think I really like, especially with this format and how good he is off the tee, is Scotty Scheffler. Um, he's been kind of middling lately. Uh, you know, n- Nothing too impressive, but I do think he sets up well for this course, uh, at least with some of the metrics that, that are going to be important here. And again, with the format, I just, I love, I do like the match play format with him. I'm not looking at his match play history, but from what I recall early this year, he was excellent in one of the, the match play event, which I'm forgetting yeah, the name finished, right now. He finished runner up to Billy Horschel in the match play. There you so, go. Um, I want to run a question by you guys again about the captain down here. The benefit of a Rory Rom, the guys we talked about on top as being captains, mm-hmm. if they, if you look at game script and tell a story, if Rory right. loses his first two matches on Friday, he's going to play again on Saturday, probably both times. Um, it, it's like to use a football analogy: if the Tennessee Titans get down in a game, their game script still hands the ball to Derrick Henry a lot. Um, they don't th- th- because that's their strength. And so the Europeans aren't going to get away from just because they lose a match. They're not going to get away from a Rom or a Rory. But if a, if a rookie um, or an older player, in my opinion, gets off to a poor start and doesn't play well, they may just get sat. Shane Lowry, if he plays poorly in the first match, might might not see the field again until until singles. And, and that's a really risky thing for your captain. Um, so is there a guy down here that you think is alleviated a little bit of that? That's kind of a more like, is Ian Poulter a focal point of the Europeans where he could, if it doesn't go well in a match, they just, they, they just keep giving them the ball, keep putting no. them out there. No, I, I think, um, so I have two minds of this C and I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. I think the lowest people are going to go uh, in, in any huge clumps will be to uh captain paul casey and mm-hmm. he'll be 10 he'll be 10,200 and it gives you some leeway to get some of the more expensive guys in and kind of the regular one i think the very interesting um captain is tony finau yeah who who uh, we we've been talking about it he might play a lot um He's really well designed for this format. He's not going to be the clear cheap captain like Paul Casey is. And then I think you're just going right. to have a lot of people who captain Rom and Rory and, and the cheaper version, the cheaper Cantlay and Spieth or whatever. Like, I think those that's going to eat up a lot of the captaincy that now will be like 3% captains. Yeah, and it might be higher, but it's not going to be significant relative to to the the top end guys that you mentioned. I, I like that idea quite a bit. I mean, I I agree with you in terms of the low end. I think Paul Casey is as low as you could possibly go with with confidence. Um, if you just want to be super risky, you can take Greg's argument and say, well, okay, that's fine, but that's what everybody else will be thinking. I'll just do something completely different. But that could really burn you in a setup like this, like pretty bad. So I, I think Tony Finau is probably from a captain standpoint for me. That's probably as low as I'm going to go. But I, I like that one quite a bit. 
the one that I were also, gonna, oh, sorry, go ahead. Rick. No, I go ahead, Rick. I was just going to say the, the other thing that, um, the other guy that I think is, is kind of interesting. And I I'm dying to figure out what they're going to do with Matt Fitzpatrick. He's, he's 5,600. He's no longer a rookie. And since we saw him last at a Ryder cup, now he doesn't do it with distance, but he's very, very good off the tee. And we have seen a lot of his better results come in some of these really tough events. I mean, he went fifth at Genesis 11th at concession 10th at Bay Hill ninth at TPC sawgrass. I mean, he's, he's kind of a gamer, but he's very, very cheap. And I don't know. I don't know how he fits into this European team from what I've seen with Matt Fitzpatrick. Um, and, and this doesn't mean he's going to, he's not going to do well. Cause I think there's a good chance he draws a really good partner. I wouldn't be surprised if he played in four ball with Rory McIlroy, for instance. Me neither. I agree. Uh, so, but that being said, those events you mentioned, Rick, the, the really difficult setups tend to have longer rough and, mm. Um, all those ones you mentioned with the exception of maybe the concession, which has water instead of rough, um, that they, they tend to have higher rough. I believe, and from what I've heard, the U S should and will mow the rough down and the fairways will be as wide as whistling straights allows, um, which you are limited in some areas. There are some natural areas where the bunkers pinch the fairway down and there's nothing you can do about that. But if they're in a PGA championship is 10 yards of rough between the fair, the edge of the fairway and the bunker. And in a major, it's really thick it, that that could be five yards of fairway uh, in, in this event. And, and they should do, they, they need to do that and should, and I believe they will. And I don't think that plays into the hand of a Matt Fitzpatrick, but with a strong partner and with match play, it, it, he he's still a a viable option. Fitzpatrick and Rory would be pretty. I I I'd sign up for that. I'd I'd be cool with that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I wanted to add one other thing. Please, sorry to hog the ball, but um, uh, the, if if you went with the con, the contrarian argument the, to the one I made earlier about the guys um, who, if they lose, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get the ball again, and making them captain. To me. If I'm going to go crazy and make a lineup that has a crazy captain, Ian Poulter's my guy. And mm. I'm gonna, if I'm going to take a flyer, I'm going to take a flyer on a guy that's proven. And it, and if the fairways are really wide and everybody's hitting fairways and he draws a good partner and it turns into a putting contest, I like his chances. I don't love him on the golf course. Kyle made that point yesterday. But I, I think if you're going to go crazy – he is worth a shot. And, and, um, and I think it's, it's only fair that we mention the, you know, the guy, the most feared European player to play against. Yeah. In Ian Poulter, five and two in foursomes, four, four and one in four ball. And here's the devastating one five, oh, and one in Sunday singles. It's, uh, it's special stuff. It's he's special a, stuff. he's a different person in this week. See, before we get out of here, I mean, what what else? It's it's such an interesting week. Just to kind of narrow it down, know your format, wait as long as possible, and tell a story. That that to me, I think, is the big thing, right? Decide if the Europeans win this, how are they going to win it? If the Americans win it, what's the most likely path for them to winning to uh, to win it, and then build your lineups to to follow that story. Oh, I totally agree. I, I think I, I don't know what else to say about it, really. I mean, it's this is so confined with the, the sort of the setup and the the, the twenty four golfers. I, I'm not even really that. 
I mean, I think it, you do have to be a little bit concerned with with getting different because there are like I think if as I look at this list, I think there's probably five or six guys that are going to be really popular, like a few from each sort of price range that we went through uh, and deservedly so. So I think if you just kind of tweak, you know, tell yourself a story and just tweak a couple things here and there. I think you'll have a, a somewhat unique lineup and it's a lineup that's definitely in play. I mean, just that discussion that we had on the low end uh, with like Paul Casey or Matt Fitzpatrick or Ian Poulter as captain. It's not, it's not that I'm personally, it's not that I'm recommending that, but it's also like those, those outcomes are very viable to, to I mean, in terms of it, just the whole pie chart, like there is a part of that pie chart where you could do that, squeeze in a lot of the top end guys and really come out well, especially if these guys perform well early. Final thought on this, Greg, because I, 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 you can definitely think yourself into a pretzel this week. Um, is it too much to think that if we know, so if we get, if we get Friday mornings sessions available and you can still update your lineups, um, Correct me if I'm wrong. That is going to be so. It's going to be four matches, uh, eight golfers on each team. There's going to be 16 golfers going out on Friday morning. Am I right so far? Yes. Okay. So would it be advantageous uh, to only build using those 16 golfers and avoiding any matches against one another? Because in theory, that's um, mm. that's 20 percent of the available points. So you're at least giving yourself a pool of 16 golfers who have the ability to play all five sessions and at least for the first session will not eat into each other's points. Have I overthought this? It, it, it depends. It depends on, no, I wanted, I wanted a more definitive answer. (laughs) If you get, I think it, I think in, uh, 75% of the matches that we're going to see on Friday, um, that will be a smart play, but I think there's the op- the um, potential that you get a Thomas and a Spieth playing against a Rory or a Rom, and and now it, it may still be worth it to have some of some shares of both of those guys because there's always the p- uh, possibility of a halved match, which means it goes 18 holes, which means there's a lot of holes won, lost, and halved in theory, uh, a lot of opportunity for that. And and there's a lot of option. There's a lot of volume potential for them. So it, it depends on who. Um, if you're looking at the Polters and the Caseys and the down in that area of the board, then I'd be much more cognizant of that. Um, should the scheduling allow for it? So yeah, I, I I go both ways, but only in the in the top of the lineup. I wouldn't worry about it as much because volume is much more predictable. And in the lower end, I would be I would be more concerned with it. Okay, see a final thoughts. Have I overthought this or should I limit myself to the 16 golfers who are going to go out on Friday morning who do not play against one another? I think you should. I Woo! like I I think you should. I think that like when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm going to do. So, thank you, Rick. So, I I no, I think that's the play. I I do understand where Greg's coming from, especially on on the top end of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I uh I think that's a really good idea to try to get yourself ahead of the field a little bit. You're at least going to be like uh, the guy who's winning after the first three hours, and you can take a screenshot and be like, "Hey, look, Ma, uh, I was winning 200k for three minutes." 
or whatever? No, but, no, Rick, the move is to tweet it out and say in all capital letters, stop the count with multiple exclamation points. Come on, that's the move. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. I'm going to schedule that tweet right now because that will be uh, <laughs> me on, on Friday morning. Okay, gentlemen, it's fascinating. I think there's a lot more... Um, a lot more discussion to be had. So make sure, uh, you know, you can leave a comment or you can uh, tweet at us. Sianajad uh, is at Sianajad, Greg Ducharme at The Real GFD. You can find me at Rick Run Good. Producer Jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes. We will be back Tuesday for the Mega Preview Pod. Get yourself in a draw to win Kyle Porter's caricature on a golf ball. That's a real thing. Get yourself in the draw to do that. Um, but this has been the first cut, and we'll catch you next time. 